Jesus not only brought good news, he is the good news. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Christ is the sacrifice for our sins and the one who offers the sacrifice. We call that one a priest. In this message, we'll examine a religious-sounding phrase in the book of Hebrews, the apostle and high priest of our confession. As Jim will show, there's a lot more action in those titles than meets the eye. Each of those terms is rich with meaning for us. He'll pray to open the sermon, Our Great High Priest. Precious Father, please condition our hearts. We can never fathom why you would love us so much to do what you did. It brings from within us a response of love, appreciation, devotion to you that leads us then to want to worship you. We pray that out of this book that focuses upon you, it's all about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. Give us a clear understanding, a clear grasp of what this writer is trying to say to us about faith, what faith is, what faith isn't, how true faith behaves, and how false faith always leads to deception, destructive behavior, and a decline in our spiritual growth. Tonight, bless this portion of your word to our hearts and minds. Give us understanding. Give us joy as we study. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Turn, please, in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to try to stick close to my notes tonight because uh, I want you to see a pattern that I hope will be a blessing to you. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, the writer writes to us, holy brothers, companions in a heavenly calling. You see that? Heavenly calling. The writer of Hebrews is trying to convince the people who read his letter that salvation is not for this life only. That the highest goal of our salvation can only be accomplished in heavenly places by the things that God prepares and plans and promises to do to us in that sphere. We're pilgrims, we're strangers here, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, companions of the holy calling, consider Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Study Jesus. Get acquainted with Jesus. He is first the apostle. Secondly, he is the high priest of our confession. Our confession means what we profess by way of faith. That's what our confession is. It's what we hold to be true about Jesus. First, as an apostle. This is the only place in the New Testament or the whole Bible where Jesus is called an apostle. And I think there's a special reason for that. It's because he, an apostle, is someone who is officially authorized to report to record, to publish the message for somebody else. And who was Jesus speaking for? 
for his father. In John chapter 5, when he was up against some obstinate uh, Jewish authorities, he said, my father sent me to speak to you. Look at chapter 2, please. The same idea is, is expanded there. Look at verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, which was first spoken by the Lord? The emphasis there is by the Lord himself. This message, this truth that we embrace, that we believe, we commit ourselves to, and we confess to being truth, was first spoken by Jesus himself. Now notice. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Confirmed. Eyewitnesses' accounts told the author and us about this one Jesus, what he said, why he said it, the context in which he said it. And many times they give us clues as to what he meant when he said such and such. See that? Now look at the next step. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. That tells us that Jesus was a faithful apostle. He spoke the truth from God, as God. That message had eyewitnesses, people who were called, especially the 12, who were called to witness and then to testify about what Jesus did and said to others. That testifying of what Jesus spoke and what the apostles and the eyewitnesses spoke, heard and spoke, was confirmed by God himself through miraculous deeds. That's what you read about in the book of Acts. That's what you read about in the Gospels. Unusual supernatural things were done by God to confirm and to authenticate the message that Jesus Christ the apostle gave. So we have a confirmed message. It's confirmed. It's ratified, it's documented, it's proven. We are not subject to um, myths and fables. What we believe comes from the very lips of God himself and is attested to and supported by miraculous supernatural events which bear witness to and support the truth. That gives us then the word. That's what the word is. It's the posit, it's the repository of all that God revealed to us in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus, by the disciples, the eyewitnesses, and ultimately into the early, early chapters of the book of Acts. It's very, very clear that God continued to witness, witness, bear witness, support, confirm the truth of the word. Now that word is focused on in chapter 4, turn there please, chapter 4 and verse 12. That word the word spoken, the word of God is living. Living. The gospel of Jesus Christ is as alive today, as authentic today as it was the day he spoke it. It's not only living, alive, it is also effective. That is, it's dynamic. You can't Read the Word without the Word reading you. 
That's why Satan and his emissaries didn't want the Bible in schools. Unlike any other textbook, the Bible is self-authenticating because the Spirit of God came to take the Word of God and to make that Word dynamic and very powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates as far as the division of soul, spirit, joints, marrow. It is a judge. It is a critic. It is an umpire. It's a referee. It's a referee of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. In other words, it bears its witness and does its work at the core of men and women's very being. See that? Now listen, that word is as alive today as it was in the mouth of Jesus when he spoke it 2,000 years ago. We forget that sometimes. Sometimes we're t we think we're talking about historic facts that are dead, dead, gone, and done. It's not true. Writer of Hebrews wants you to know that that word, that word which was spoken by Jesus Christ, confirmed, authenticated by signs, signs, and wonders, that word is still authentic and powerful. It doesn't need signs and wonders. It's been signed and wondered. It's been confirmed. It carries the authenticity of the power of God, how? In the work it does in the ears and hearts and minds of people who will receive that word. That's the point. Not only that, that word acts as God's personal searchlight. You see the next phrase, verse 13? No creature is hidden from him. The God who speaks in that word and through that word is not contained in that word. He's not restricted to that word. God isn't restricted down to a proposition. No one, no one at any time in their existence escapes God. We need to know that. One of the tenets that I hope to support from our study of the Gospel of John is that just as God was tabernacled in Jesus for 33 and a half years, God didn't leave earth when Jesus went to heaven. God is as much in this world today as he was in Jesus. How is he here? Tell me. By the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. He's here in the Word, and the Word is dynamic. We don't trust the Word. We don't have confidence in the word like we should. We sometimes think that we're to debate and argue and convince and persuade that we need to prove everybody else wrong. No. The old Southern Baptist evangelist said, if you got a kitten and a lion in the cage, just let the lion loose. You don't have to defend him against the kitten. <laughs> and that's more than just an illustration. God is alive in this world. As a matter of fact, he's so alive that no creature is hidden from him. All things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See the last phrase? Everybody in the world at any moment and every moment of their life is naked before God. He reads their thoughts, their intents, their motives. He knows their thoughts before they think them. That's why at the great white throne judgment, books can be opened. What's in those books? The full, complete, 
accurate, perfect record of everything, every person who stands before the judge of the great right throne judgment will face the full, complete, accurate record of everything they've ever thought, said, done, wished, and why they did it. It's all there. You don't hide from God. That's a part of the testimony of Apostle Jesus. That's a part of what the disciples observed as they watched him move. He knew the thoughts, intents. He knew the answers to the questions before he asked them. He even knew what people were going to ask him before he asked them. Why? Because he's God. And Jesus is not, has not vacated, left earth to the fate of Satan and his emissaries. The Holy Spirit here, comes here. He's here. God is here. God is working. The glory of God is being manifest in our world right now. We just need eyes to see it. One more thing. No creature is hidden from him. All things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We didn't just spring out of a soupy marsh. We are created in the image after the likeness of God. Every form of life that exists, exists because God gave it life. It belongs to him. And we are going to give account. There'll be two accountings. In fact, there'll be more than that, two major ones. And every person Every person conceived in a human womb is going to stand before the Creator and what? Give an account. That's sobering, don't you think? Very sobering. Well, the writer of the Hebrews wants us to ponder, wants us to consider this Jesus who is the apostle and the high priest. What's high priest mean? Well, it means the one who intercedes to God on behalf of others. The great high priest, he's called in chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, here we go, the same one who was the apostle, of God, spoke the truth, lived the gospel, provided the gospel, explained the gospel, empowered disciples to repeat the gospel, that same one, that same one is now our great high priest. How did he get there? Watch. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, and who is that? Jesus. Boy, we need to stop being embarrassed about that name. We just need to recognize who he is. Jesus. And he is the Son of God. That doesn't mean God had a baby. That whole phrase has to do with the resurrection, not the incarnation. And you can find that for yourself if you look at Acts 13, 33. Look at it for yourself. It's very clear that that phrase, today I have begotten you, today you are my son, the Father says to the Son. That's not Bethlehem. That's the resurrection. It's very clear. Look at it for yourself. Well, this one who is God the Son is the better way to say it. 
uh, I don't want to contradict scripture, but the word the Son of God is often mis misread or misheard to mean, oh, God the Father had a baby. It was a boy. Gee, good for him. Blah, 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 blah. No, the baby was God the Son. And the relationship unique to the Father and the Son after his Calvary experience was emphasized in the resurrection. Now notice, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Man, look at that again. Dear Jesus, it's me. I know I don't deserve to be here, but just wonder if you had a minute. Some things bother me. If you're too busy, I'll understand. No, with boldness. With boldness. Now you say, wait a minute, that's God the Son. Uh-huh, it's God the Son. But the writer goes on to tell us that this one who is God the Son, who is our great high priest, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Why? Because Jesus understands. Jesus has been there, done that, got scars. He's been tested in every way you could ever be tested. He knows what weaknesses are. He's very well acquainted with those. Remember, he became a man. And during his manhood, during his human life, when he was in incarnate human flesh, during that time, he was tested. He went face to face with his majesty, the devil. You haven't. I haven't. He did. Every way but one Jesus experienced your weaknesses, your struggles, your trials, my temptations, my frustration. He experienced it all. He wept. He slept. Became tired. Became thirsty. Go on and on and on and on and on. In his humanity, he became just like us, and he was tested every way we can. So he is empathetic with our weaknesses. He knows why we need to pray. He knows what we're going to pray about. And he knows how to fix it. Now, look carefully. Where is he now? Look again at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he's back at the throne of God. He's back at the center of the universe. He's back in the very presence of God the Father. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's what the Bible tells us. Now that fits perfectly with some other things that the writer of Hebrews wants to tell us. One of them is that he's not working to save us. He's already worked. He's finished the work. Salvation is accomplished. It's a done deal. 
demons, devil, no one can separate you from the work Jesus Christ did on your behalf in his becoming man, in his dying on the cross, in his resurrection, and his rise to the Father. It's a done deal. That's why you can come boldly. You are already a son of God, a child of God. You're already a member of the holy family, meaning that you are joined there with Jesus Christ. Everything that can be done has already been done. And salvation is for us a gift of God's grace. It's something he gives us based upon his finished work. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. Now grace rules. We have nothing to fear, nothing to fear to walk into the throne room of Almighty God. You're welcome there. You're expected there. You're, you're wanted there. You're loved there. Why? Because you're perfect? No, because you're his child. Because you are the recipient of his grace, and in and through his grace, he has, he has faced all your problems, faced all your weaknesses, faced all of your struggles, gone through everything that you could ever possibly experience, and he did a victorious thing, and he's there to help. It's incredible. Incredible. Just an incredible concept. So we're told not only to consider him, but we're told to experience him. Come boldly. Go boldly. Since what we confess is based upon the revelation that God gave of his son, since it's based upon the experience of his forgiving grace in our life, we come boldly into his presence before the throne of grace. And in petitioning him, he promises that he will make available to us mercy and we will find grace to help. Whatever the need. Whatever the need. Grace for suffering. Grace for sorrow, grace for living, grace for failure, grace for loneliness, grace for anxiousness. What do you need, brothers and sisters? What do you need? His grace is sufficient for that need. You remember from the book of Esther that no one could enter the king's presence uninvited. Anyone who did so would die for his audacity unless the king extended his scepter in welcome. That's a picture of mercy and perhaps the backdrop for the apostles' call to come boldly to the throne of grace. After all, we have an invitation from the king. Jim's sermon is called Our Great High Priest. We'll send you both parts of the message on CD for a gift of $7 or more. The current series is called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. You can have that set of 19 CDs for a donation of $66 or more. Thanksgiving is a week from today. If Right Start is one of the things you're thankful for, please consider lending your support. Our ministry family is made up of people just like you. They have blessings, they have needs, and they feel led to give. And we're thankful for them every day of the year. If you'd like to help, please mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA. Find us online at rightstartradio.org. That humble site holds a cornucopia of Christian resources. They snuck a Thanksgiving reference in there. 
You'll find hundreds of hours of radio shows and complete sermons, a link to the Right Start podcast, a way to email us, and a way to donate. Again, it's rightstartradio.org. Or call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. I'm Dan Pope, thanking you for listening. The author of Hebrews has a particular point that he keeps coming back to. Jim will pull several references together for us tomorrow. We hope to see you again on Friday for the next Right Start.